Noiros. I'm going to call people Noiros. Are we trying or keep trying? <laughs> I like it. I have I got yeah I have no clue uh, what to call everyone but our friends in uh, podcast land welcome back to out of the podcast episode three at it again Dan and Joey how we do it how you doing Dan I'm doing good we're we're a day removed from Christmas we are time, so I actually uh, today's movie uh, the lady from Shanghai actually watched it on Christmas this turned out to be a Christmas movie for me I did as well I watched it last night <laughs> there was no other way to do it it seemed. Yeah, I, I was. I always wanted to do it as, especially if it's one I haven't seen before. Like in this, in this case, I was like, you know what? I want to definitely watch it, be as up fresh against, as possible. Yeah, so be as fresh yeah. as possible. But, uh, but wow. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Was, uh, yeah. No. Uh, before we get into, I'll say um, it was tough because it is Christmas, and and we have an idea of a Christmas noir that we are both equally came together on uh, with no hesitation whatsoever. But uh, it seemed like it was best time to release that around Christmas, so we watched it in private. But we will. It's clandestine. We clandestinely watched our yes. our mutual favorite Christmas, and there's a there's a few. Uh, I mean, there I, absolutely is. I mean, Noir yeah. Christmas is well well covered, thankfully. Yeah, I, I I consider watching more of them, and I, I was just like, you know what? I, I I've watched so many movies, and, and not in a bad way, but I've watched so many movies, and I've been trying to like stagger it with different you know different stuff that I like around Christmas time, and I I feel like I'm getting to a point where like I need to like maybe ease up and you know hit the brakes a little bit on the amount of movies i've been watching <laughs> yeah no definitely do you watch tv at all are you a tv watcher uh i am and i'm not like like random like i like old tv shows for me so like usually if yeah. i catch something in syndication or like i'll watch like old shows on on netflix or hulu or something like that but not regulate like i, I like the occasional reality show but like really oh, wow. yeah I think you'd be surprised. Um, I just was surprised. Yeah, I, I, I get hooked in them sometimes. And it's just, it, it, you know, I, I realize that there's, there's so staged, it's staged reality, but yeah, it's still, it's still entertaining in, in some respect. And I don't know, it just, it, it's like almost like watching like a spectator sport, you know, for me, because I, I do like sports, but it just almost feels like it's not that sports are always, uh, you know, I would consider them all script or anything, but I, I feel like there's this like, it's just this idea of entertainment. I, I, I look sure. at it from, from pretty that standpoint. Like I don't necessarily get too invested into it. The you know, gladiators of today, right? Reality exactly, television. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, just, it's just fun entertainment. It's just something to like watch. Sure. Was there any good Christmas reality uh, television that you watched? Christmas reality? No, but I feel like that needs to be something on like uh, Lifetime Network or like TLC or something like that. They need to have some type of like, I mean, I, I actually I have, it's not Christmas related, but I have a... Um, I don't want to you know say it here because I don't want anybody to steal my idea. So maybe after the fact we'll we'll talk okay. about it. But I, I have I have a really good idea for a um a, a dating show. So like, oh. like a reality dating show. So might that, be a that, spinoff of this show. Exactly. So maybe so I won't I won't I won't admit that here. But uh, okay. So how, about, how about you? Are you watching? It'll be any, fun uh, for everyone to listen back and remember that uh, we we teased our famous uh, dating show. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm so gonna say, R, I'm gonna I'm coming in on your idea. Probably will contribute nothing to it, but we did it together. I mean, I'll Way probably go, need us. a producer at some point. So who knows? There, there you go. That's <laughs> might me. be in, in listing you. I'm, and what was the question? I'm sorry. Oh, I was just saying if you had any on your end that you were. Uh, Television show yeah, wise, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, um, I'm a big TV head. I would say this year or the year that just passed, 2020. Uh, I really love the show. They were both on FX. Um, Devs. It was a mini series. Um, I don't know if you watched the movies Ex Machina or I have watched Ex Machina. Yeah, yeah, it's mm -hmm. that guy. He got a mini series on FX, um, and it's really heady and, and amazing. Cool. Uh, highly recommended. It's on Hulu. I think it's like six or seven episodes. So if you're just looking for a quick little something. I'm that one it. was great. Um, and then there was an Australian crime show called Mr. Inbetween that I got okay. heavily into this year that um, I think uh, noir fans would really dig. Uh, 
it, it's it's funny and just great. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I recommend it. Yeah, some some newer shows I'll get to like Netflix, some limited series. Usually, like it's like the doc series and stuff like that. Usually, what I get into like you know, yeah, I love docs. true crime kind of stuff. Sure. Like that, that stuff I definitely I, I definitely get into. But yeah, a lot of newer shows anymore. I'm just like, nah. fair enough. I mean, I'm pretty critical. I can't really put up with um, bullshit from TV, especially more than movies. Yeah. Like movies, I can kind of like whatever, but TV, I have higher standards. Um, yeah, but I'm also like you. I like old TV right now. I'm into Bob Newhart. Mary Tyler Moore show is my favorite show of all time. Um, That's awesome. Go, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's incredible. So yeah, I mean, I like all that stuff. Um, I mean, I'm sure no one's surprised the noir podcast boys. Uh, they like old TV, huh? Weird. Yeah, old movies, old TV. <laughs> who who would who would ever thought? Yeah, I, I would agree. Like, yeah, I mean, growing up like Nick at Night uh, was yeah. like was huge for me, and like watching you know all those shows like Happy Days and and stuff like that was one of my favorite shows growing up. So like. I you know I hated all that stuff growing up, uh, and I oh, hate, really? I hate to use the word hate, but I, I you know I just it didn't do it for me. It just uh, it felt like something that I would get as an adult, and that's one hundred percent what happened. Like I see Cheers on Nick at Night, and they're just like ah, they're just in a bar, like to I don't talk know what this what is. is. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> this, is, this is not something that happens to me. But then you know you grow up and get older, and it's like Cheers fucking rules. So uh, yeah, and even like old movies in general, like I I could only go up to a point. Uh, before that enjoyment just it didn't work for me other than certain things like um weirdly enough like michael keaton batman was out and huge when i was a child but mm-hmm. i love the adam west uh, batman 66 movie oh uh, yeah that thing is perfect and i would rent that constantly uh, i love that movie so there'd be like me little too. things like that that would make it through kirk douglas uh, i liked him like he just kind of was a cool guy to me we share a birthday oh i didn't, oh, I didn't even think about that yeah so I really liked, uh, was it 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea? Is that the mm-hmm. right amount of leagues? I think, yes, that is the right amount of leagues. Uh, that's yes. why I kind of hesitated. No, uh, no more, no less. Just, no, just exactly. 20, Especially at that time. You know, there's only so many leagues a man can conceive <laughs> of. Um, but I like that movie a lot. I remember just being like, that guy is, is a cool guy. That's awesome. Yeah, Kirk Douglas is, yeah, amazing. He, he shows up in Out of the Past, uh, that movie we will continue to allude to until we actually watch it. And one of my favorite... Uh, Kubrick films, uh, Paths of Glory, uh, which Ooh, I think yes. is one of, one of the greatest war movies of all time. I I love that film. It's great. He does his performance is amazing in that movie. Well, he's Spartacus too, right? I've never seen that movie actually. But that that's movie, yeah, I think him, I right? so. And, yeah, and yeah, that's that is Kubrick him. too. I don't think he directed that. Okay, didn't he have I'm something not, to do with it? He may have. I'm I'm actually not a huge Kubrick. Like I know a lot of people, like a lot of film aficionados, are huge Kubrick fans. Like I like a, a few of his films, but I wouldn't say like I'm a huge fan. Um, I, and, um, I, 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 what I do like, I love, um, right. And he does a, he has a great noir that we'll get to at some point, I'm sure. Yes. Oh yeah. That's like probably my favorite of his, of his movies. Yeah. One yeah. of his early ones, maybe around that Spartacus movie. I'm about to confirm that he did or did not make. <laughs> yeah. I was like, we should probably fact check that just to make sure I'm like 98% sure. I hope that, uh, we at least, yes, 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 yes. Did he? Yes, we are right. We do not need to edit this out. And people are screaming into their respective listening devices that fucking, of course he did. Um, <laughs> he directed it. Uh, yeah, I also haven't seen it either. Um, maybe a bonus episode down the line. We can, uh, you know, how noir is Spartacus? <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. We'll answer that question. That's an interesting one. Like, I was thinking about that because there's some movies that I feel like walk that line. And, and I feel, because yeah. I, I was thinking about today, like one of my all-time favorite movies is Johnny Guitar because I'm a huge Western fan. And I feel like it doesn't necessarily get credit as a noir, but like there's definitely elements in that movie. I, I mean, I feel like Nicholas Ray, the director, I, I, he definitely has directed some film noir in the past. And I feel like he has that kind of 
can bring that vibe and it, yeah obviously yeah, it's like a western just comes natural right but it's such a bizarre western and and i, I just I, there's something about that movie that i i just love there's, there's a there's a few like that like those kind of hybrid genres like western noirs um yeah. that are really cool or even like uh horror noir like night of the hunter you know exactly. is it is it a noir like yes but Mal no Luton, like sure. those, those ones yeah like a lot of those walk that line um even uh one we talked about last episode um what did we talk about last episode? Joan, Joan, the Joan Crawford movie. <laughs> Mildred Pierce. Mildred Pierce. Yes. Who's yes. also in Johnny Mildred Guitar. Pierce is kind of one of those that toes the line. There you go. So Full circle. Everything's connected. Yes. <laughs> All right. You ready to get into this movie? I, I don't think I could be more ready. All right. <laughs> this, this <laughs> I tried thing. to push it off, but I am so psyched to talk about this. Uh, the Lady from Shanghai, 1947, directed mm-hmm. by Orson Welles. And starring um, and written by... Yes. Uh, well, written, uh, which seems to be kind of a theme in his work. I, I don't know too much about I, I've seen what I see. I've actually liked from Orson Welles. I will spoil. I like this movie. Um, mm-hmm. It's not perfect, but it's enjoyable. But he uh, I like uh, Touch of Evil. He directed yep, and he's kind great. of he's been around noir between that one and um, the third man. Oh, yeah. 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 Third man's good. Third man, his brief appearance, Cowrie. but very yep. memorable. Um, yeah, so he's he's familiar to the genre, and um, some of the backstory of this movie, uh, he kind of did it to fund another movie that he was working on, mm-hmm. uh, a musical, Around the World in 80 Days. Yes, yes. So he was kind of needed some more money, 55000 for costumes to be released that were being held because, uh, you know, it's Orson Welles. It seems like there's always some sort of production problem with him. It seems very, very Orson Welles-y of, of Yeah. <laughs> So he kind of was able to make a deal with Columbia Pictures uh, mm. with Harry Cohn at the time. And in exchange, he would make a movie for him. And they chose this one, which for our book club, the Out of Podcast Book Club, it's based off of If I Die Before I Wake by Sherwood King. Yes. They always change the titles for the most part of these. Yeah, that's a, it was interesting. I, I guess they feel like certain markets, like a movie market, they think a different title might be more attractive or more mysterious than... Uh, it seems like the classic book. movie move yeah. of like, we're, we're, yeah, we love this, but we're going to change something just because exactly. just we, have, we have to say we did something and we contributed somehow. It's our own thing. So as Wells would tell it that he uh, just kind of like looked at whatever book was around that he was reading at the time. And he's like, oh, I'll make this one. But that's been disputed. They said that there's also a daughter of William Castle said that her father had the adaptation rights to the novel. And it just sort of they pitched it to Wells that he should do this movie. But either way, he was in a rut. And this movie came about as a result, The Lady from Shanghai. Uh, it also has Rita Hayworth, also no stranger to noir from the world famous Gilda. And they were married at the time still. Mm-hmm. They got divorced actually after this movie was made. So it makes you wonder how, how well the shooting experience was. But I mean, you kind of don't notice it. They still seem to have chemistry and, and get along, in I my opinion. I think it was the whole hair thing with changing her uh, her hair. Uh, because yes. I mean, she, she was known for this style the you know the the patented style with the long hair and then now she had short and bleach blonde hair in this film which like to me i mean i was the same like i I, i've seen some films of her and i kind of know her as you know that certain image as well and then to see her it is kind of jarring to see her and i'm sure it created quite a stir from what i i've read and i could believe it that it caused that type of stir where everyone was just like what what does she do? She, she looks very different. And it created a lot of contention on the, uh, from uh, Harry Cohn and from some other people because he was really like, oh, this is her image. And now you're like, this is completely different. I mean, it's jarring, but, you know, it's still Rita Hayworth at the end yeah, of the day. I mean, you know, it's just a haircut. People. Right. 
it'll grow back. It'll grow. <laughs> it's uh, but I'm sure it, like that was like a, a, you know definitely a scandal you know at the yes. time. I'm sure. Uh, oh, of course, in all the rags, gossip rags. Yep. Um, Mainly in comparison to some that are out today, of course. <laughs> that that seems you know, rather <laughs> rather tame. Um. So earlier, yeah, I said that um, you know, it's written by him, quote unquote. But there were ghostwriters for this film, um, which seems to be the, the case in his movies. Uh, with Citizen Kane, uh, Herman Mankiewicz was credited, but if you've seen the David Fincher movie Mank, it kind of presupposes that you know something else. May Which I still haven't seen. It's on my list, and I need I, to see I, it. I did love <laughs> it. Uh, I do recommend it. Yeah, and there's a great Orson Welles voice, uh, like in that movie, the Mank movie. But it made me. I mean, Orson Welles's voice in this movie, where he's doing that. Accent, the Irish, um, the Irish accent. That was one of the first things I was I was like waiting to talk about. Like I had like a couple points in my head of like it's so delightful. I love it. it. Is it's, it's it tickled me the whole time. I mean, at the, I, seeing it seeing it at the time, you know, uh, I can only imagine what it must have been like at the time to hear that. It'd be ridiculous, but now time having passed, we've seen fish stick commercial outtakes. Like it, it's delightful. I, I, I was cracking up the whole time. It just made me think of the the critic, the 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 John Lovitz cartoon, where they would always have little bits about uh, Orson Welles doing like you know pitches for like different commercials and stuff like that. They had one for frozen peas and yeah, other yeah. ones, and and that was like one of my first thoughts. Like every time I hear his voice, like that's what I think of every time. I think that the, yeah, the guy who did that voice, uh, Maurice something, the guy who did the voice of like Pinky on Pinky in the Brain, or mm-hmm. the Brain rather. Sorry, not Pinky. He does a really good job. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he actually voice coached the guy who plays Orson Welles in Mank of like oh. how to do the voice proper. Oh. So yeah, wow. I probably have more fun facts about Mank than I do a lady from Shanghai. But I'll do my <laughs> best. <laughs> hey man, I, I feel like it still compliments it. So yeah, def- totally. definitely helpful. Yeah, I mean, we're, it's a good time to be an uh, Orson Welles fan because yeah. of that movie and your favorite podcast is now covering The Lady from Shanghai. One of the most confusing movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it was, but it was, you know, I was, I was down for the ride. It kind of just seemed yeah. like you, you just sort of had to sit back and, and not, you know, put the old brain aside and uh, just enjoy the ride. Because it's still Orson Welles. Um, I mean, one of the best things about him is his direction. He's a great director, uh, very innovative you know, Citizen Kane, just as a director's film, was so groundbreaking. I mean, we don't need to get too much into that. The world knows. But yeah, he's just, he's a great director. He knows how to set a scene. Um, I mean, the opening scene's fantastic. I mean, that that drew me in the whole, just like the, the, the camera. It's bookended well. I mean, we're obviously yes. going to get into the ending, of course. Absolutely. But yes, it has a memorable beginning and a, a memorable ending. Or- Orson Welles uh, plays Irish sailor Michael O'Hara. And uh, he pretty instantly meets uh, Elsa, who's played by Rita Hayworth. When I start out to make a fool of myself, there's very little can stop me. If I'd known where it would end, I'd have never let anything start. If I had been in my right mind, that is. But once I had seen her, once I had seen her, I was not in my right mind for quite some time. They're in Central Park and she's in a horse and carriage um, by herself. herself by herself <laughs> yeah uh, there's some trouble instantly there's some some riffraff that, some ruffians yeah some ruffians <laughs> that you know we're like hey let's get this uh, one lady who's in a horse and carriage but of course michael he takes care of it because he's a he's a brawler i mean he knows her right away it was instantly taken with her and then uh, i think she she like deliberately dropped her purse 
So yeah. he would find it. So then he would be on the trail to eventually find her and, and, and rescue her, whether she knew that, I don't know. That's the, and that's the thing that I question. I wonder, like, not that it was staged, but I, I wonder, I mean, just because of, of what ha- transpires in the, in the rest of the movie, I'm just curious, if, is that, was that part of a, a plan, a larger plan, or was that just something that randomly happened? We can spoil it because, uh, you know, we're assuming that everyone is listening has seen this movie. She killed, she committed the murder, which we'll get into. We will leave mm-hmm. that aside. But um, she's a murderer. Yes. So it's, you have to do have to wonder how in advance was she planning this? Or is it something that transpired later where she's like, yeah, I like this guy. but Kind of just worked out. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's something to think about. So she, she tells him, you know, come, come work on my yacht. Right? Am I jumping ahead too much? No, that's right. I mean, I mean, and I'm that's working normal- on my yacht, and he yeah. kind of is like whatever. And then we find him in a hiring. What was, what was it called? A hiring yard or something like that? Yeah, it's like a you know, it's like unemployment, but like, right. but they're trying to find jobs for like it was like you know, seafaring, mostly seafaring, and kind of workers of that that type of job. You know what I mean? There like was that a, type of a man with the monkey. Yeah, there was a lot of weird characters in there that all kind of like I, I like. That was one thing I, I really enjoyed was when they all kind of came around each other when uh, the lawyer comes in and I'm really terrible at names so uh, forgive me I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into my my list here of uh, Arthur Bannister and who's a who is uh, Rita Hayward's husband in the film yes and then he's he he seeks out to find uh, Michael to enlist his his uh, services yes in the unemployment agency of yesteryear on, to be on a yacht that's going all the way to to Frisco through the, yes. through the Panama Canal. Uh, the monkey is great. I do want to just circle back to that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. I, no, I no. I mean, I didn't I have much to say, but I just needed one more, one more for the little guy. He was awesome. Yes, great definitely. to see him. Uh, he belonged in the scene, so that was good. And also, there was some cool, uh, like old sailor tattoos. Got a lot, um, of especially like right in the center. There's a guy like it looked like it said Mary Sue or something like that, mm-hmm. stick and poke, and uh, you know, big old classic anchor. That's fun. I, you just like seeing like old scumbags like true to the form like you hope they were instead of like hollywood scumbags exactly they're different types of scumbags yes of course <laughs> you know artisanal scumbags uh so he takes the yacht job mm. even though he does not seem that psyched on it had he confessed that he was a murderer yet because they talk uh, pretty in depth when they're in the carriage i think because like was... you know he's like ah, i used to be in shanghai that's where the title po- kind of pops in where does the princess come from i don't know why she should tell you but well, her parents were Russian, quite Russian. You never heard of the place where she comes from. Would your highness care to gamble? Gamble? She's done it for a living. I bet you a dollar I've been to the place where you were born. Chifu. It's on the China coast. Chifu. It's the second wickedest city in the world. What's the first? Makayo. Wouldn't you say so? I would. I worked there. You worked in Makayo. Here's your dollar. How do you rate Shanghai? I work there, too. Yeah, as a gambler? <laughs> well... Hope you were luckier tonight. You need more than luck in Shanghai. Yeah, I think it alludes to... I think I think uh, they were aware that he had killed someone because they talk about it briefly after the fact. So I feel like he was at least, when he was seeking out his employment, uh, I think he was probably at least somewhat aware. I mean, maybe he, him spilling those beans to her was when she decided to frame this guy for murder. Yeah, I mean, he was willing to, or he was, you know, he had done it in the past. So, exactly. Um, which we learned later, it was, it was not really, it was murder, but, you know, they, they talk about it, it was due to him fighting in the Spanish Civil War. Right. Uh, so it wasn't just he was just going after someone. Which he said that person. was the worst, the worst place to be in prison was Spain. Yeah. But it was also because he committed 
quote unquote murder there. Murder, so yes. I mean, I think anywhere where you're in jail for being a murderer is going to be the worst place. I'd say it's probably not not too good. Yeah, you don't get the cushy cell in that one. So he takes the job, and and we're off. We we set uh, sail on the seas and uh, meet our cast of characters and uh, going around Miami. Going Miami. <laughs> And uh, we meet George Grisby. I flew in this morning by way of Havana. I'm George Grisby, you know. Grisby and Bannister. Who I th- at Free first name. thought was crispy. Uh, but <laughs> he has maybe even better voice than Orson Welles in this. His voice is just like... <laughs> A lot of great voices in this, in this film. It's all great voices. That's, yes. that's definitely um, high on the review is just voices are underlined voices yes. just some really wonderful times i don't know how much of that was wells kind of getting everyone to ham it up i don't know how serious he was about this movie like because yeah. the, him just sort of taking on the gig to kind of finance another picture just it's hard to tell like how much he was passionate about this one and how much he was just kind of thrown it in because uh he didn't have final cut on this one mm-hmm. so i mean i think that kind of yeah i think that read they edited it down Pretty dramatically. Like, Pretty I mean, dramatically. It's like an hour and 27 minutes, but I think it was like 155 minutes, I think, at one point. I mean, I mean that's a, it, it's brisk. It's a compliment. Yeah. The the running time is good. That, that That's one of the thumbs up from us, I think. Um, I wonder if it would have been easier to figure like out to, the plot if it was longer. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm sure some essential things were taken away. Um, yeah. And they also had, like, insert, like, close-up shots, which Wells was against. So, I mean, it's, it's his vision and it's not, but I don't know how much he actually cared about that vision right it seemed like this was just a one and done for him yeah that sounds about right and there's also a lot of rear projection in this movie like a lot of like it one like from like frame to frame it would be like on location and then the next would be like this really weird looking rear projection and then it would clip back and it would be the the location again it was very very weird to me but Um, and speaking of projection the aquarium scene when we get oh yeah fantastic just gigantic turtles uh yeah yeah we'll get to that um So uh, we meet George Grisby. Everyone's just getting hammered mm. all of the time. All of the time. Uh, oh, yeah, my note says that crispy dude goes, bye-bye, with the best voice. <laughs> bye-bye. Um, well, he asked him about it, too. I mean, uh, what's his name? Uh, which, I'm terrible with names. Uh, Bannister. Yes. Uh, when he, You're when terrible he, with one name. It's always been just, Bannister. Just one name, and it's Bannister. <laughs> uh, he, uh, when he's asking to employ uh michael he asked him if he if he drinks and i, and yes. I wonder if that kind of plays into that whether it was, you know th- that aspect of them being on the ship all the time i think we're going to keep asking questions that make us realize that this movie knows way more about what it's doing than we actually thought well i, I it's funny i i read and I, I even took i did take note of this that there was a note and what how true it is or not i don't know but there was a there was a thing I read. It says when the film was screened for Columbia Pictures, President Harry Cohn he found it so incomprehensible he offered to pay a thousand dollars to anyone who could explain the plot to him. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I like to think that that's true, and I well, it seems believable to me because yeah, I would I yeah, would I mean, also probably those pay execs were always like would love to like say like all right, this movie just ended that I hated. What's the most asshole thing I can say that yes. would make the the papers? Um, exactly. Yeah, and it actually like I was reading also that um, the film came in under budget and on time, but because of the reshoots that were requested, then it just got out of hand. That's what happens every time. Um, but yeah, they're just getting hammered, and it's awesome. I mean, this is a scene with uh with Crispy and Bannister and uh, her name Elsa. I'm hope I remember that her name is Elsa, but Rita Hayworth. <laughs> They're all just drinking and chilling, and it's just great. I love that scene. Yep, they're drinking and chilling. And, and I also like... Um, it's real hot. 
It is. It is. It's so hot, uh, and that really translated on the winter day that we watched it, the Christmas day that we watched it. Yeah. Uh, there's also some good, a good scene with uh, Orson Welles and Rita Hayworth because she doesn't smoke. Mm-hmm. We first find out, but then she asks for a cigarette. She goes, "I'm learning to smoke now." Ever since that night in the park, I, I've been getting the habit. I'm learning to like cigarettes, and I, that was delightful but of course she's probably just learning to bump cigarettes so she can frame them for murder exactly and it, and it, it almost in, in a way kind of you know hark, we can harken back to the you know the, the last episode with postman where there's that scene with with that with dropping the um was it a cigarette or I'm not, my memory my memory's failing but but there was the, the match yeah the, match, the yeah. lighting so, yeah so, yeah so like that there's that like symbolic nature of that uh, and, a noir and, trope uh yes. that that i love is just anything with cigarettes um yes which neither of us smoke, so, you know. Yes. Again, that's us living our wish fulfillment through these people. Like, oh, what would life be like as a smoker, you know? It, yes. yes. Apparently it's great until it's not. Noir, uh, smoking is the true noir. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> dark alleys, you know, dark lit room, sitting yep. on, a, on a couch, smoking Just a cigarette. Dive. Yep. Yep. Nothing more depressing and, and dark than that. The shadows. The exactly. shadows of your hospital bed. Um, it's okay if you smoke. Uh, we're not trying to poo-poo anyone. So I mean, it's not good for you. To our, I, I'm going to say do it. Live your life, okay? Yes. I'm, I'm not trying to lose li- our very valuable smoking audience and our <laughs> eventual smoking advertisement that we do. You're going to hear us just go like, ooh, I love the cool Marbles. taste of those <laughs> Chesterfields or whatever. Like that of, old of Flintstones all the commercial. That we would get, that would be that. Yeah, we'll take them. We will... Uh, we're willing to take on any sponsor. Uh, the more evil, the better. So hit us up. Oil companies. Uh, yeah. If, if you're ruining the environment, please. If you're if you're trying to take away water as a human right and natural resource and, and charge people, yeah, we will advertise that. Dan agrees. He's on board. I'm speechless. We, we, we discussed this and we said, let's not even do this podcast if there's not even a chance at us finally getting to shill for big evil. Yes, because that this was the whole, entire point of why we started this in the first place. Exactly. This, I'm like, this, I kind of like these, these movies are all right, but give me that big oil money, baby. There's always a hidden agenda, folks. Remember there, that. There is a hidden agenda, <laughs> much like these movies. That's exactly. We're, just, we're trying to play the real life grift, the long con, and we call it out of the podcast. Thanks for participating. <laughs> if you made it this far into the episodes, yes. then great. <laughs> great. Phase one is complete. Now... Phase two costs money. Around this point, oh, and there's one other line that I liked where it said, It has been a most interesting cruise. All very rich and rare and strange. But I had had no stomach for it. To begin with, living on a hook takes away your appetite. You've no taste for any pleasure at all but the one that's burning in you. But even without an appetite, I had learned it's quite amazing how much a fool like me can swallow. Great line. Yes. Great line. Um, also, where they go, here's to crime. And then they do a beer chug. I mean, that's wonderful. Again, can't, can't we, write that any better. <laughs> could be purposefully on the nose. It's so hard to tell. But it, this, this movie, like, even if it's not trying to toe a specific line, like if it's accidental, it just kind of, it hits a fun note. You know, it's a yes. little tongue in cheek, but it's also... It, Possibly accidental moments of greatness, but there's greatness nonetheless. Um, Orson Welles is really good at like capturing like moments between characters 
and, and just some, some great back and forths that definitely make this movie worth watching. Definitely. So at this point, uh, we've learned that... A lot of confusing things happen. <laughs> a lot of confusing things do happen. And, um, you know, there's... So Grisby goes to uh, Orson Welles, Michael, and says, you, you should murder me. I want you to murder me, but it not really murder me. Because uh, if I die, there's some insurance money that then goes to my partner, Bannister, and somehow we're going to split that money and I'm going to be long gone. And you're going to sign a note confessing to this murder. But don't worry, my body is going to be gone. So you'll be fine. It's basically just, you know, Fletch basically just took the entire plot from this. Yes. You know, pretty much. It's pretty much just, you know, Fletch is almost like a remake of, of this movie in a way. It's true. And while I do like this movie, I would say watch Fletch over, over this. I would agree with that. Fletch is one of my all-time favorite movies. But I was thinking about that, too. I was like, wow, this plot does sound really familiar. And then, like, the boy thought, I'm like, yeah, this is definitely what Fletch... I don't know if it was influenced by it, but I'm sure it had to be in some... Maybe some Orson Welles and Chevy Chase kind of have a lot of similarities, weirdly enough. Like, I feel like they're just the same kind of cantankerous... Yeah, Folks, we're... Kind we're of guy. Wait for our, our, our supplemental podcast where we, we compare and contrast uh, Orson Welles and Terry <laughs> Chase. Yes, that one's a little more intellectual. Yes. Yeah, the I real pe- thought piece, you know, piece that we really want to have, you know, you guys engage in. Is- Orson Welles and Fletch would have been pretty amazing. <sighs> Him as Fletch would be a great movie. Yeah. We La- can- like later Orson Welles, though. Like later yeah, on Orson Welles. Yeah. Yes. Someone should deep fake that for sure. I think that I think our follow-up episode needs to be this. I think this is definitely what we the fan. This is what the fans want. This is what I want. Yep, we are now a deep fake podcast <laughs> of just you know, taking it, all, it all of here. your favorite actors and and injecting them into other films that they were never in. Yes, <laughs> it, the future, man. I mean, it's we got some crazy stuff coming. We're here. We're, we're here. The future is now. Oh yeah, I mean, the future has always been as an immortal, just like you, just like me. <laughs> I mean, I, some, I, sometimes I forget that we all are, are not, not blessed with this gift. With the, the gift of immortality. $5,000 for murder is what is offered. You think that's enough? Mm, no. Even at that time? Yeah, I, I didn't do the, uh, the numbers, but... I, I, oh, I, I also meant to say, uh, this is a, we did another drifter movie. Yes. Just lots of drifters. <laughs> drifters and grifters. Yes. Uh, that was not intentional because the last two we had never seen, so there was no way to know. Lots of grifting, lots of drifting, lots of diners. This, this, this is film noir. Nothing finer. This is what, this is what we watch. Yeah. <laughs> this is why we watch. Grifters and diners. I got a new name for the podcast. I was just, I was thinking about that, but then it, it, it could be, and we could do like a crossover with diner drivings and dives. You know, yes. we have this cross with Guy Fieri, you know. This. Well, when, when we're able to be in the same room together again, uh, when the pandemic's over, we can just go to diners and review these things. I'm, I'm all for that. At the very least, just go to a diner afterwards, get a bite. Totally. Cry about how good the episode was. And how good diners are. Yeah. <laughs> and how much we miss yeah. them. Oh, I do. Me too. I miss the taste of diner ketchup. The bright lights, the smells. Oh, yes. So $5,000 is enough for murder. Even because Michael never sounds stoked about this. He's threatened to quit like the whole time. Elsa, like she knows he's going to quit, but he's, he's sticking around with her for whatever reason, even though he's still telling anyone who will listen that he's going to quit. So, I think yeah, he's just he accepts- enamored with her. You know, I, I think that was just the, yeah. get, the general vibe that I got. It was just like the only thing that was really keeping him was, was that. I mean, and also he was just a drifter. So I think he just kind of like, he's just along for the ride, but also is like, hey, maybe I can maybe steal her away. Well, these guys are, like, everyone he's working for is, like, you, you would need to because everyone in this gig is weird as hell and just awful, mean people who just 
drunk and rich and just fucking assholes. They're on a yacht, man. Which yeah. Was, which was Errol Flynn's yacht in, in real life, which is amazing. Yes. yes, that is amazing. And he can be seen in one shot, I believe I, yes. I also saw. Yes. Briefly, yes. Mm-hmm. We, ha- we have good information. Thank Apparently you. he was pretty uh, inebriated most of the time. So I feel like every, like the just the, the set booze must have been out of control. Like I can only imagine how much of that was a prop. The booze was flowing like wine. Yeah, <laughs> booze flowing like wine, divorce is in the air, and hair nowhere to be found. He's just not psyched hair. to his hair he's not psyched to do this murder um but he's like okay i'll do it like he just is kind of rolling with the punches the entire time Mm -hmm. you know at least i'm getting paid for this murder is uh maybe going through his mind and you know he's like yeah sure nobody i'll sign this letter everything is good to go he's gonna use the money to run away with elsa and uh so he signs the confession on the night of the crime, we have Sidney Broom, mm-hmm. private investigator who's been following Elsa. He's a divorce uh, investigator, they say specifically. Mm-hmm. And he confronts Grisby because he knows that uh, of the plan of Crispy's murder. I'm calling him Crispy this time because it's Grisby. I'm into Crispy. it. I'm only, because I'm reading the plot, I'm saying Grisby, but he was Crispy goddamn the whole time. For me. I mean, I feel like everybody was Crispy on that, on that set probably. It was probably really hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When did the aquarium happen? Did we already miss that part? Um, that pre- that that pre- or post murder. Yeah, that that's like very like towards the end. Yeah. Okay, because I do want to spend a moment on that. So everyone kind of knows about the plot of the murder at this point, even if they're all not aware of it. But they go through with it. Uh, oh, and they like so on their way to go commit the the murder, they hit a truck. It's very foggy, and they hit a truck. Mm-hmm. And there's a nice glass filter they put over the camera the broken glass filter the one thing i think i really appreciate about this movie and we've talked about it before but like i i feel like the the visual aspects of especially i mean it's very orson wells but just the visual aspects of this film what is what what i liked most about i mean reading hayward's performance yes but um i i think just like visually like i mean even thinking back i mean we we kind of glossed over it but i think one of my favorite shots in the entire movie is in the beginning when he uh, drops off Rita Hayward at, when Michael drops Rita Hayward off at her car, the garage, and all the guys kind of come into frame. And yeah. they all kind of like come in in different directions and, and like you, you don't really know what their relationship is. I mean, some of them are just garage attendants. One of them, you know, is, is another guy. So it's just like, the, the, just the way that that was shot was perfect. And obviously we'll get to the aquarium later, but just, yeah. just visual, a lot of visualization um, in this film is just really all good. Of the, all of the strengths, which are just rock solid, a bicep of a strength, um, kind of make up for any shortcomings, I think. Um, it, it's it's a very watchable movie. I didn't have any any trouble with it at all. Um, I mean, I had trouble with the plot, but... Yes. <laughs> but, you know, it also was understandable enough where you're just like, forget it, keep going. Like, you know, yep. there was, a, you know, a little bit in the beginning where you're like, all right, I really got to pay attention to this, especially when you're like, oh, and we're going to record an episode about it, but... It very much just became, just go with the flow. It's going to be fine. And it was. So they crash into that truck. Grisby gets all fucked up. He's bleeding. And then they're like, oh, good. Now we got some blood we can spread around the car. So then they he go. They drop him off to his boat, uh, his get- murder getaway boat. And Grisby's like, peace. I'm off to live the good life. Enjoy your five thou. You're never going to see me again. And he goes off. Turns out he gets murdered. And then Orson Welles uh, goes to that club. Mm-hmm to kind of just be seen and shoot his gun and say that he was just uh, shooting target practice, but everyone's kind of after him, right? As soon as yeah. three, <laughs> three shots yeah. go off yep. in front of a, you know, I was just trying to dance and have a good time. That's all I'm trying to do. Exactly. It's, it's <laughs> if, real... if I'm Orson Welles, that's... 
So, but then it turns out uh, Grisby was murdered. They have a body. Everything that Orson Welles had done to kind of help facilitate the fake murder didn't help with the real murder. Right. Um, so he gets busted. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, so uh, the private investigator gets a hold of Michael and warns Michael that he's being set up mm-hmm. and that the police have the confession. Then we get to the trial. I don't know if we missed the aquarium yet. I just want to get into that right now. I feel like from I'm, the trial to the end, we're fine. I'm they, ready for it. Uh, Orson Welles and Rita Hayward just uh, go to an aquarium. They're, they're talking things out, and it's just so cool. Uh, there's these crazy, like, projections of – it didn't. I, it was tough to tell if it was projections at first, but then when there was, like, a 100-foot turtle, it was, like, pretty pretty clear. But, yeah, it was just amazing. You see, like, an old squid – really cool like old nature footage just spliced into this aquarium um yeah. and it really sets the mood it's very shadowy like yeah, a they really wanted aquarium. To make it. you never see that right they really wanted to make it from what i've, I've read is they really wanted to make it so they were almost like the same size or, or you know very large in comparison to the actors they really want to have this that like i guess towering kind of sense with them yeah um, and it really does yeah i mean it really gives you that vibe it's very uh you know like we've said it's just very unique and very interesting uh definitely like very it just kind of captures you like oh man like what like this is crazy it's crazy out of the movies we've done so far um i mean I, this is definitely better than uh, postman but yeah I, uh, I definitely enjoyed this maybe more. maybe not the best of like all of these movies but uh definitely the best directed yeah i, I think yeah i mean he's obviously i think orson welles is a great director i think yeah he, he really but I, you know i haven't seen much either and especially yeah. like to see him kind of do one of these they're just like yeah let me just shit out this turd real quick for the studio and get back to work just with little effort just to see what he what he was able to accomplish and just that yeah. natural artistic vision you know it's it's fascinating to see yeah i mean orson some, welles is kind of like it. is like kind of like the beach boys yeah you ready for this uh I'm, every, i am 100 ready for this <laughs> you know like with the beach boys like you're growing up and it just seems like the, the world stopped after pet sounds and it seems like the world stopped for after citizen came for orson welles but it's like they all had these amazing projects afterwards like you got to keep going like even if it wasn't you know what the masses had accepted there's so much gems to be found i 100 percent agree with that so as, yeah, as, a, hu- as a huge li- lifelong beach boys fan I, I agree with that uh that connection thank you <laughs> <laughs> so now we're in the the courtroom and this thing is fucking ridiculous yes. um this is where the the tone is firmly starts to be planted in the cheek yes the judge gets a huge laugh at one point like he's and after that huge laugh it's game over i mean they're just like this thing is is stand-up night and we're going for it the uh, banister is the defense lawyer for michael Michael, Mm -hmm. which um and he knows about the affair at this point he's not too because of course the investigator uh the divorce investigator told him so he's not too fond of michael but he defends him um you know he's a lawyer at heart and there's one point uh where he the other lawyer calls him to the stand and then afterwards he's like, well, naturally I have, I'm, I have to be my own witness. So I get to ask myself questions and wow. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Why not? Would your honor kindly explain to the jury that since the district attorney has placed me in the position of a witness that I am permitted as the defense attorney to cross examine myself. And he like refers to himself in the third person, and it's it's exactly as bonkers as you could have conceived. Like it, 
you could put this in a writer's room and if you're going for jokes you couldn't have done it any better um yeah it didn't ruin anything too much for me you know because courtroom scenes can go either way in these things as we've already seen i really enjoyed the escape from like the entire sequence of him escaping and kind of like hiding out through like a jury that was going out of the courtroom yeah, so and then he he, he runs away michael um elsa kind of gives a look over at these pills mm-hmm. why were the pills there it was hit it was uh the Bannister? banisters pills yeah yeah it, okay yeah for his his medical condition that he had right so he just got them out and then so uh orson wells just grabs them and takes a, a hunk of pills and then looks like he's not doing so well so they take him to the back and this is while we're waiting for the verdict right yes there's the chessboard that the judge is playing against himself while he's waiting um which is cool i know chess is real hot right now so uh, yes it is we're, we're staying on topic for the for the world in and many that, ways, it never left. In, yeah, my, in, my, in my opinion, it's always been it's always been hot. Yeah, as far as sports go, chess is like the Beatles of the sports. You know, like, you <laughs> tried, can tried it, and true. Exactly. They 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 brought the form to popularity. Um, <laughs> that chessboard comes back too because um, after Michael's done faking it because they send him to the judges' quarters, he punches the guy watching him and falls into the chessboard. It's glorious, and yeah, there's that great escape into the theater. Into the theater, yeah, they head into Chinatown, and uh, that whole sequence was really cool. Oh yeah, no, that. I mean, at this point, we're just we're everything's superbly directed, um, and yeah, this is the A plus material. This is what really kind of sold the movie. So they hide in the Chinatown theater. Elsa's trying to get um, help Michael get out of town, so she calls in some friends. Some friends, yeah. The lady from, from Shanghai, you know, you know a few people. She's got some connections. Um, and they're kind of just like waiting, watching the show, just nervously, like, what are we going to do? Because it, it's like, yeah, it's going to be in the afternoon before we can even smuggle you out of town. Michael then reaches into her bag mm. and finds the gun that killed Grizzly. Turns out she did it, as we've already mentioned, uh, and have now realized that this was intricately planned and placed throughout the movie. The femme fatale. Femme fatale. Uh, it had, had to be her, right? Couldn't have been crispy. no crispy he was fatal but he was not femme in this one yes but he still got pills in him so he's he's passed out yep uh so he can only do so much with this information and they take him he gets whisked away he gets whisked away to our grand finale uh this is this is the thing man this this sequence was awesome best best sequence amazing so they, they go to a fun house and it's just so superbly filmed just the angles, the all of the mirrors, and it's just it's just set up so perfectly. Like it's not one of those things where you're like, we could do better now. Like this thing is a ten out of ten. Mm-hmm. I'd argue maybe Ender the Dragon when Ender the Dragon kind of rips this this very similar thing. With so the, many with the things mirrors. did. Yeah. Um, yeah, you could go into Wikipedia. There's all of these references uh, that have been made to it. I remember an episode of the Avengers from the '60s that references it. Um, it's mm-hmm. very cool. Just one of those things where, of course, Orson Welles just was such Trailblazing. a trailblazer. Couldn't even help it. And there's a, sh- a shootout. So uh, at this point, Bannister shows up as well. Or mm-hmm. Bannister will help whisk him to the to the hall, right? Yes. So he's there. Elsa's there, and Michael's there, and then they all start shooting at each sh- other. Have and, a shootout, and, and there's glass everywhere. That glass blockers. filter from before it comes yep. back. Just close close ups. Uh, Very tight shots. Really good. Just yeah. Really good. Just perfect. And then Elsa gets mortally wounded. Bannister's dead. And there's a great scene where Elsa, Rita Hayworth, is just begging for her life. Oh, Michael. 
I'm afraid. Michael. Come back here. Michael. Please. I don't want to die. I don't want to die! Loved it. Yes, and he's just like he's just like nah. And he just like lets her bleed out. It's so so awesome. He's like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> Peace. He's like, I'm but out. It's like yeah, the how he felt about their marriage at that time. I'm sure. Yeah, a little little uh, foreshadowing maybe. So he leaves. He's probably got five thousand dollars still, right? Yeah, which I'm sure was like ten thousand dollars then. At I least he also like I don't know, yeah. And then he said he's his name is cleared even though he escaped and everything. I don't know how much. Can you, like, all right, this is a good question. You're innocent, right? Fugitive style, Harrison Ford, not the TV yes. show. I'm only so familiar with. If you clear your name, does that make everything okay with the escape? Like, if you escape from jail to go clear your name after you've been mm-hmm. busted, like, and then you do it, are they just like, all right, that evens us out? Or are they like, well, what the fuck, though? You still escape from jail. Yeah. Because I guess they, the... it's a conundrum. You can't, yeah. you can't count on the cops to solve your crimes, as we know, as a society. Uh, what do you do? I think it depends. I think it depends on the scenario. I think in this case, he probably was like, especially, I feel like if they did film scenes like that, they probably would just be like, oh, well, you're off. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying I need to see it in the movie. Yeah. I guess I'm just right. asking in general. As, in general? As a, as a yeah. dumb person. That's know? interesting. Yeah. Like I said, I, I think it does depend. I, I think it depends on what, what the, the charge is. You know I mean? I guess if it's for murder, I guess, yeah. they, you, you, I guess you would assume that they would take a little bit more I, I feel like if you're, him. Yeah. Murder is the one you really escape for and could kind of be forgiven for if, you, yeah. if you're innocent yes if you're innocent yeah have that caveat well i think um, it's that that morality too i mean he he was really innocent and then you know for all intents and purposes so that's why he kind of gets off at the end versus yeah. you know rita you know her character because she obviously was the one kind of all the true criminals the got theirs so it, yes. it's the noir rules were fulfilled and again yeah, i mean you know i don't want to necessarily keep comparing it to 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 postman but like there's just a lot of similarities in these two movies uh, yeah. that, like between, you know, the, you know, the, a murder plot where, you know, a, a, I'd say, a, you know, considerably younger, more attractive, you know, woman that's married to this much older guy uh, is trying to plot, you know, his murder and they end up going to court and, you know, he, the guy gets, you know, there's a framing in there. You got the judge who's kind of either distracted or a little bit, a little bit weird. You know, it, it's just like a lot of. He's high on chess. High <laughs> He's Amen. just thinking about his next move, you know? And if that's the problem high. with America's judges. They're just too, they're thinking two steps ahead on their chess game where it's like, I just robbed the liquor store. Chill, man. Chill, man. I'm, I'm trying to make my move, you know? Yeah, exactly. Why my don't you just uh, chill on the chess and pass the 40, brah? <laughs> I mean, you, I feel like you, that's probably the most you could ever make for a case of, of anyone wanting to be a judge. I, I think if that actually was the case, I think people would want to be a judge more, probably. Yeah. <laughs> to play chess? Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and drink 40s. I mean, I, drink I feel 40s. Like if, if Chess and 40s. More. Yeah, the judge's way. I finally understand them now. <laughs> Brain on the crime. Exactly. So what do you think? Would you recommend this movie? Maybe someone? I would live so long I'd forget her. Maybe I live so long that I'll forget her. Maybe I'll die trying. Maybe I'd die trying. She's great. gone. What a great line. 
It's a great that, line. That was a great line. I, that needed to be focused on. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say I like this movie. Um, as far as Orson Welles' noir go, um, it's not better than Touch of Evil. No. You know, not by a long shot, but... I was thinking about that too. I mean, obviously that is like, a, a, I think like a, a good frame, you know, to comparison, you know, in comparison to that. Because he's done it. That's the thing. That, yeah. It'd be one thing if this was like his only foray into the genre, but he, right. as we said, he's been here as actor and director. And Touch of Evil was at the tail wonder, end, too. I mean, yeah, that was yeah. 58. I mean, that's exactly. going towards the end of... Well, maybe you learn the lessons from this, too, you know, um, yeah. which is entirely possible. But uh, And it also makes you wonder what the original cut, like how much stronger that could have been. Unfortunately, it's lost to time. No one's found the footage. Yeah, I wonder. I don't know. It was, like, buried under, like, Harry Cohen's, Cohen's bed or something like that somewhere. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, this movie still succeeded in... Um, I'm further impressed by Orson Welles. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I now feel even more confident saying like, wow, what a director, you know, it wasn't ever a fluke. This guy is just, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. I, I think, uh, uh, you know, an actor, I mean, he, he's right. great. He I, really I, had some great scenes and, and lines in this. Yeah. I think at his core, I, I think, you know, you look at it from like an auteur standpoint and like, you know, it, regardless of how invested, he, you know, he may have seemed in the film, I feel like he still has, you know, that vision and, and especially with the aesthetic and the vibe and the way it's, it's filmed, it, that, that adds enough into it, I think, to make it enjoyable. Even if, even if the plot, I, I would say that like a, a movie like The Big Sleep, which I love, but it's taken me many, many times to try to figure out what that movie is and still <laughs> g- g- gives me uh, some confusion. I would say, you know, that in comparison to a movie like that, I mean, it's still, you know, just as confusing. I feel like this is definitely a movie I would want to see again. Like that was the one thing that I thought about throughout was that, you know, this is definitely a movie I want to maybe take another another watch and maybe see yeah, if, that, absolutely. if that does and, it for me. And, it, you know, it, it's it's a very watchable film. It's not a slog. Yeah. Like, I, it's a good time. And, I, yeah, I think another round through could help to just kind of tighten up those things that we're unsure of. Exactly. Do you, uh, Orson Welles is kind of a person who's always made sense to me just as a person who likes to do everything and likes total control. Do you, do you do yourself the same way? Hmm. Um, cause I, I could see you going either way. I've, I've seen uh, both instances from you. Yeah. I think that's what it is. I, I think I'm, I'm, uh, you know, especially when I, for me, I think of like band settings cause I've just been in so many different right. bands over the years and whether it's been my own music where I'm in charge of it, or if it's, you know, in a band setting, like I like to be invested in it, regardless of, of the amount of, I'd say, quote unquote, control that I have. But I, I feel like it's nice to have a little bit of both. I feel like there's the, there's a duality of work when, you know- You need balance. You can, right, really and collaboration. Like, I mean, I, I've been in bands with, with collaborators where, you know, everybody has such a good strength in maybe one particular area that when you kind of all come together, that collaboration is, is you know, wow, like everything's together. But yeah, there could be said for a singular vision too. I, I feel like it, it, it can, it depends for me. I, I know that's not really a concrete answer, but I think it really does vary. I think it really is like, you know, different instances, it, it kind of lend itself. And, and like, you know, I feel like in a way like Hitchcock, like I, I, Hitchcock is such a good example of like a guy that I feel like has such a vision. And it's like, would that, those movies really been very different if say he had a lot of different other people kind of, I mean, he had a lot of, a couple other collaborators, but like, you know, he, you, know, you could tell like he has like that. Well, even choosing collaborators in a way right. is part of that vision. Right, exactly. What about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, I find it very hard to collaborate just because I am a perfectionist. But when it works, there's nothing better. Uh, so it's tough. And it, I think a lot of times I'm just a little picky, but I'm willing to collaborate, you know, if it's the right person and project, you know, kind of like this, where it's just like, I know that both of us kind of will bring what we need to to the table and find that harmony. And there's no reason to 
be overly controlled in conversation, you know? That's just exactly. a, a dickhead. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's easy with this. Yeah, I don't know. You should, it, it's, it's, I think you should have things that are outwardly your own and then have things that you kind of are willing to collaborate with. And it's just a matter of finding which projects are right for each. But I think both are necessary to find perfect harmony and not be a dick. So Exactly. I'm, I'm learning. Balance and not being a dick. That, yes. this, these, these are, these are the, the, the takeaways from, <laughs> from, from this. I mean, every episode ends like this. You know, hey, keep it balanced. Don't be a dick, right? Yep. That, that's our new tagline. Is that how we had everything? Our... Hey, keep it balanced. Then. Don't be a dick. See you next time. Bye. <laughs> Hear it out of the podcast. I know. Watch this joke about this and it then becomes true. We don't have it yet, but we'll figure it out, I guess. We're, we're, we're open for a, a, an outro. And we'll, we'll, we'll have take a tagline contest you know we'll have, yes we'll tagline contest um anything else for lady from shanghai nope i i, I like what a like, lady i i liked it i i like i said i feel like this is why i definitely wanted to see again like I, I, you know as a basis of comparison of last week's where i didn't really watch another movie we didn't really watch with the postman i wasn't super into that movie but like in this movie i was like okay i feel like this had enough in it for me that I, it kept me in it and like it made me want to like be like okay i'm confused by it but i want to watch it again so i feel yeah. like that's at, at, at the at the least you know even if i didn't necessarily love it out of the gate where i was like totally like oh wow, i love every every minute of every little piece of this movie i i liked it but like, yeah, just the, the, the mo- certain moments, the, the filming, just the vibe, uh, you know, it, it still had something that, that brought me into it. So I, yeah, I, I, liked I, it I, that. I liked it, but there was things in it that I absolutely loved. Um, yes. And that's, that's a great time. The ending, of course, is just something that I will think Fantastic. about and ha- has stuck with me. And that's, as we've said in previous episodes, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for just things that resonate. Um, and hopefully people that are kind of coming into this episode having rewatched the movie or seen it a couple times can attest that yeah this thing it gets better and better that seemed to be what critics felt about it because it seemed like it wasn't well received at the time but people are warming up to it with that time so which i feel like happens a lot now you know a lot especially oh yeah of course especially with the genre that we're choosing to tackle yep all right guys well that's going to do it for this uh come back next week we're going to do 1950s gun crazy obsession he seems to have for guns maybe a boy likes to feel he's best at something so i saved up and one christmas i got him a brand new bb gun it's something else about guns that gets him You don't own me, Packy. I saw the two of you. Where you're looking at each other tonight. Like a couple of wild animals. Almost scared me. It should. Somebody might get hurt. How can anybody get hurt if we don't hurt them? I want to do a little living. What's your idea of living? It's not 40 bucks a week. Tell me, when did you get this idea? Oh, I've always had it. Ever since I can remember. If I don't get it one way, I'll get it the other. I told you I was no good. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Shoot!
and send us your outro uh, for the tagline contest. Uh, you can send it to the real out of the podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on uh, Instagram and Facebook at out of the podcast <laughs> on Twitter at out of the cast. Yes. Shout out to the real Ghostbusters. Oh, yes, the Ghostbusters. Yes. Oh, the yeah, we want to talk about Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Yes, well, first off, we, the real out of the podcast was based off of the real Ghostbusters, um, the 80s cartoon, because there was a Ghostbusters cartoon running at the same time that had nothing to do with the film property. But it was still fantastic. But it's still fantastic. <laughs> yeah, you had two great Ghostbusters going on at the same time. I mean, this, the 80s were fantastic. I was going to say, you can't beat that. No, you cannot at all. But uh, they actually mentioned this film that we just did, The Lady from Shanghai, in Ghostbusters 2. I, I thought about this earlier. I did read about that, and we talked about it right before, and I was not expecting that, but that makes total sense. Yes, in Ghostbusters 2. Ghostbusters 2. Uh, Rick, Rick it's disgust. Yeah, yes. they take a moment. Rick Moranis is trying to explain it, too, and, and it's <laughs> I don't know if it helps, really. <laughs> All of the references, like, like in popular culture and stuff like that, it's, like, mostly people just saying how, like, confusing the movie is. Yes. There's uh, Jim Jarmusch's The Limits of Control from 2009. Tilda Swinton's character says that the movie makes no sense. I like Jim Jarmusch. I've never seen that. So I'll, I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, I wonder what that is. Maybe it's like a yeah. short or something. Because it be. seems weird that, that we... I don't know. I'm usually on top of his stuff, but I have missed some over the years. Especially the later Jarmusch. Uh, not that it's... You just got to get in the zone for it, you know? Exactly. And, I mean, not to go on a total tangent, but I I was rather disappointed. Tangent alert! <laughs> and then this is where the sound effects comes in. Uh, oh, no, wait, wait, wait. With... Tangent alert. <laughs> uh, De- Dead Don't Die, the, the zombie movie that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I went and saw it in the theater because I was like, wow, like, based on it, Jim Jarmusch, like, the, the you know, the actors in it, like, Bill Murray and all that stuff. I... I just like could not get into it. And like, I just couldn't read a tone on it. And like, I like Jim Jarmusch a lot. And I just, and I like zombie movies and it, it had, it had everything there. And I just felt like a lot of it didn't land it. I wasn't sure if that was like on purpose or what. I just couldn't, I couldn't get into it. So that's my little. Did you see little... Patterson? I did. I loved it. I saw it, okay. I saw it twice in theaters and I, I own it. And I, I, that movie I loved. Yes. Okay. So it's not a matter of that then. It's just a matter of that particular one. was no good. I don't know. Exactly. Um... If I see a Bill Murray movie, like he's in something now, I mostly don't trust it. Yeah, um, I was. It's, it's weird. I was thinking about Jim Jarmusch this morning before the podcast, randomly, because like, I was thinking about like Mystery Train somehow popped in my head, which is like one of my favorites of his movies. Yeah. And I was thinking of Broken Flowers too. And I think Broken Flowers is probably like a really good Bill Murray Jim Jarmusch collaboration. Um, it, it, that might have been I, even like one of the last I liked from Bill Murray. Yes. Uh, there may be something. I mean, oh yeah, I like him in the Wes Anderson movies, of course, but that's just sort of like its own thing at this point. Like, it's not even like a it's a separate. Zone, yeah. You know, I'm thinking of like Netflix Christmas specials and like all this stuff, which is like, ah, I tried on one of those and I, I made it like a few minutes and I was like, I can't do it. I don't care what he's doing for the brand. And it's also like the hype, the people, you know, like I feel like Bill Murray fans are like really what ruins it. Yeah. I mean, I, I obviously like growing up with him. I mean, like, I think one of the first movies I remember watching is Stripes for some reason and like, and Ghostbusters and like, which is weird that like I was a kid watching Stripes, but you know. Well, he was just such a, I don't want to say cartoon necessarily, but he like, there's just something like that worked for children with him. Like, right. We all Meatballs, Ghostbusters, yeah. you know, you name it. Um, I mean, one of my all time favorite movies is uh, Kingpin, which he does a phenomenal performance where he improvised his, everything he did in it. I don't think I've ever seen that all the way through. I, I I've been. I, Sorry I, to hear I, that. I feel like that's a movie that I need to catch up on because I I haven't I haven't seen that movie. And you need to make sure it's the right cut because it was like they released a DVD where it's like the unrated, like not seen in theaters cut, and it was like all the 
you know, scenes that they took out for a reason, like put back in that ruined the flow of the movie. And like, that was like on streaming services, like that version. Oh, really? But finally, I mean, you can get the Blu-ray and uh, you have options and you should definitely watch the theatrical cuts. I will add that to my list of, of films to, uh, to check out. There you go. Maybe on our side podcast. Who knows? Exactly. We do our, uh, <laughs> We're going to have a lot of side podcasts, I think, stemming from this one. Yeah, well, you know, hey, make us popular. We can start a Patreon and we can give you these podcasts. But in the meantime, this is all you get for free, folks. We'll get Orson Welles and, and Chevy Chase, and then we'll get Bill Murray and, like, I don't know, somebody else. Yeah, who's, Chris, who's Christopher, Lee? Christopher Lee or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we just got to find good pairings, that's all. Yes. Like wine and cheese, my friend. Exactly. That's, our, that's today's tagline, like wine and cheese. We'll see you next week. Have a great night. Take care. Ta-ta.